All right, let's do this, man. Oh. And I just want to welcome those of you who are watching at Blackberry Creek and Bartlett and DeKalb. As what up, well Blackberry Creek? Blackberry Creek. Blackberry Creek. Let's see you come up with something on Blackberry Creek. Go. Blackberry Creek. Um, I got a friend that's black named Barry. I don't know, is he there? Too? I don't know. <laughs> wow. Let's see you save somebody right now. Go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you there give you me go. the time. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Hey, Michael, tell us, as you began in life, when did you note that you had a sense of humor, okay, that people would laugh at what you had to say. Is this something you picked up from your family or you just, yeah. how, how'd you recognize it? You talk with your hands a lot. So my, my, um, <laughs> my grandfather told me people who talk with their hands a lot been locked up, they've been in prison. I just don't know what that means. Anyway, I'm just playing, probably not you, right? <laughs> um, I knew that I was funny. I remember nine years old, me and my dad, and I was talking with my hands a little bit so you feel better but I wasn't locked up. Um, me and my dad, like, I, I grew up in a household where kids were seen, but you don't really be talking when grown folks are talking. So me and my dad and, um, and my uncle, we, had went over, we went over some people's house that my uncle knew, and their house was filthy. Like, it was really, really dirty, and they were on welfare, so they had the heat cranked up, and it was at least 110 in there. And I grew up in Michigan, and um, I grew up in Michigan, so it gets cold just like it gets cold here, and it was freezing outside, but it was like 110 in the house. And I'm nine years old, and we leave the, that house, and we go, and we, we're sitting in the car, and we're driving off, and my uncle and my dad are talking about the situation. And I know I can't say anything negative about that, so I actually twisted it up and put it in the form of a question. And I thought this would be funny, but I wasn't sure. So I said to my dad and my uncle, I said, I said, I didn't know that you could have flies in January. <laughs> And they fell out laughing. I was sitting in the back seat like, oh, snap. I think I figured this out. So at that moment, I kind of knew. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on The Tonight Show. So, <laughs> so did you bring that into the classroom as a, as a kid in school? Were you the class clown? Oh, like a class clown? Yeah, well, I wasn't a class clown because my dad had this thing called a, uh, a belt. <laughs> so I wasn't a class. I would only do things in class that were funny enough to make the teacher laugh. Because a laughing teacher doesn't send you to the principal's office. So I was very strategic about that, because my dad, he don't, he don't mess around. Because yeah, parents, when they whoop you, they always got to talk to you. Don't you ever, right? And my uncle sometimes would do it, and he stutters. So that stuff is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about, um, I've heard you tell the story before. Your first experience of doing stand-up was very spontaneous. Happened in a movie theater. Give us that is story. true. That is true. You notice how he got the microphone that goes right here, but they didn't have one in brown. That was weird. That was weird. <laughs> I was gonna wear his, but it would look like I got cut. It would look like I got cut right there. Um, so I'm at a movie theater, and um, you guys are trying to focus. Me too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm literally at this movie theater. I'm 17 years old, and me and my friends we go to the movies to watch a uh, to watch a movie. I don't remember what it was, and then in the middle of the film, the screen blanks out and they turn the house lights on and there's like this big stage in front of the, the screen. And my friend, a German exchange student, he said to me, I dare you go tell a joke. That's what he did. It was a black German. I didn't even know they came in black. <laughs> He's like, I dare you go tell a joke. And at the time, I'm like 17 years old, I'll do anything. You know what I mean? Why not? I'm, you, I'm 17. I'm not saying you should do anything. I'm just saying that that's what happened with me. 
So I don't even have a joke to tell, but I'm, I'm walking up there, and I got literally like 12 seconds because the only joke I know is a dirty joke. And I'm not going to tell a dirty joke because my friend who can hit me in my chest if I say something wrong is right next to me. So I said, um, so I had 12 seconds to rewrite the joke from the time I got out of, out of my seat and walked up to the stage. I had about 12 seconds to rewrite this dirty joke into a clean joke. So I get up on stage, I tell this joke, and all these people laugh. There's like 400 people in the theater, and all of them laugh. And I felt a high like I can't explain. I've never done drugs. I've never, I've never smoked anything. I stopped cursing when I was 14. I, I've never drank alcohol. I had some NyQuil once. That stuff is ridiculous. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> so I go up on stage, and I tell this joke, and all these people laugh. And then I go sit, and then they want more jokes. Yeah, do some more. I don't got no more jokes. So I go sit down. I know about timing, even then. So I sat down. And then security comes in looking for me to kick me out. And this white lady, who I don't even know, stands up. And at the time, I tell the story. This old white lady stood up. She wasn't even old. She was like 40. Back then, that was old. She stood up and she, she said, if you kick that young man out, I want my money back. And then these bikers with long hair and tattoos stood up. Then black people stood up. I was like, man. I gave them a little part of me, and they gave me all this love in return. And it wow. just blew me away. Like, wow. it just really, really did. Wow. So wow. it was cool. Hey, let's fast forward to when you're doing comedy now. And you, you alluded to that story, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, George Wallace, etc. That was a fast forward, so, in case yeah. you were wondering what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, well, no. I didn't know what you were doing, but yeah, thank you for explaining it. Yeah. It like, I didn't want to do the sound effects as you were talking. Thank that would have been weird. Yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry, let me rewind. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you saying? Are you done? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Seinfeld. Okay. I'm talking about Jerry Seinfeld. So, now. uh... Yeah. So you're backstage, you're at the top of your game, this is where you got the invitation to church. So I want, I want to cut to the spiritual journey. When we bring a guest in for a while weekend, we love to hear about, so how did you begin a relationship with God? You already explained, you didn't know Christ, you got invited to church, yeah, an altar call, so a pastor asked people to come forward. Yeah. What, what was it that struck you and what he said that made you think, I got to do something about this? So I was already in a place where I was, I was open, I wasn't open really, but I was Here's the thing, I say this to women, but it, it applies, to, I say this to women about men, but it really applies to women as well, but I'm gonna say it the way I always say it because I was that guy, this makes no sense currently, but it will in about 12 seconds. If a man doesn't have God in his life, he is God in his life, even if you haven't articulated it, because somebody's gotta be at the top. So I was God in my life without even knowing it, and I was not doing a good job. Like, I was really, and here's the thing, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, no drugs, I wasn't out of control, people, I just knew like I knew like I knew something was missing, because things just weren't, like I was making audiences laugh, but it was very empty. I mean, you, you guys can right now immediately come up with a comedian in your Rolodex who has either committed suicide or end up in a drug, like this stuff was empty, and I knew there had to be more, and then when I went into this church, the pastor, because I could understand what he was saying, he was just teaching, I finally, for the first time, understood what he meant by making Jesus your Lord and Savior. It made sense to me because I had tried it, and that stuff was not working. So then he did, he did what they call an altar call, and people raised their hand, came forward. And I wanted to go, but I was like, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. I don't know what this is about. Because I knew a couple Christians, and they was creepy. <laughs> there are some creepy Christians out there. If you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. <laughs> Sorry, your friends know one, yeah. So I didn't want to be that dude. 
So I wondered, so I told myself I'd read the whole Bible first, but I didn't even know the Bible was that big. <laughs> a couple days later, literally, I'm at O'Hara Airport, and uh, they do a, a church service at O'Hara Airport. I don't know if you know that, but when you drop, like on Sundays at like 12 o'clock, they'll do an announcement. There's church services. It's like a real bland church service. Like everybody can show up. Like you could be sitting there with the Taliban, and it's like there's a whole. <laughs> so they said the church service is in 15 minutes. And I was like, wow, really? Then it was like, church services in 10 minutes. I was like, man, church services, Michael Jr., in five minutes. <laughs> and this lady hands me a Bible, and, I, and she says, you can have it, just take it with you. And I start opening up this Bible, and I want to give my life over to, to, to Christ, but I told myself I'd read the Bible first. So uh, you know how I feel about reading and stuff. So I read the Bible. It took me 38 days to read the Bible. I was putting in like 12 to 14 hours a day. That's like nine pages a day. Like I was digging in. <clears throat> anyway. So I finished reading the Bible, and I, and I run up to the altar like during the announcements when I finally got back to church. I was like, I'm ready to do this, man. Let's go. And I understand some stuff now. Before, I just thought I was funny, but now I understand I'm funny for a reason. Like there's purpose behind me having a sense of humor, just like there's purpose behind you being an amazing mom, being a plumber, being an electrician. There's purpose behind it, but if you don't understand the purpose of it, it can really kind of, it, it feels empty. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Thanks for judging yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me uh, let me take you back you to me, the uh, you comedy seven, side of things. You gave me seven claps, by the way. It was seven. <laughs> Yesterday was like ten. Yeah, yes, that's about yeah. Yeah. No, I was yeah. just talking to him in particular. You guys were great, but he was like, uh, I was counting. <laughs> I'm just making things awkward because it's funny. I think one of the things I took away both from your talk last night and, and I heard other people saying the same thing, this whole notion of not doing comedy to get laughs, kind of pull them out of people, but to give them an opportunity to laugh has opened up doors for you to go in places, like you said, the prison and whatever. But one of the stories I, I love in, in one of those venues that you went to, mm -hmm. there was a little kid in a Spider-Man outfit. You got, you got to tell that story. Yeah. So what happens is, uh, in, in and you, you said it really well because that's how a lot of people see it. But the, 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 what really happens is because I made a shift from getting laughs from people to giving them an opportunity to laugh, this has literally changed everything in a huge way. And this isn't a shift that's isolated to comedy. You can do that right where you are right now. So um, one of the places, once I started asking the question, who can I give laughs to, the audience didn't matter anymore because I'm not trying to get laughs from them. So I can go to a homeless shelter, and a lot of my comedian friends will be like, yo, what if they don't laugh? My job is to present the gift. My, it's, my, that's it. I'm just there to present the gift. It's not about what I get in return. A lot of times when we give people a present, we sit there and look, and we wait for their response so we can feel good about it. We're just supposed to present the gift and bounce. Bounce means to vacate the premises. Anyway, <laughs> so we're at this uh, abused children's facility in Montrose, Colorado. And uh, beforehand, we did a, a video. We made a, a documentary called Comedy the Road, Let's Travel. Uh, we put it on DVD. Um, the really cool part about this thing is it was, it was us going to these places, hearing these people's stories, and they tell us basically why they can't laugh, why they don't laugh. And his grandmother tells him about her grandson who was so afraid of his mom because she was on drugs and she was abusing him. He's so afraid of her. Everywhere he goes, he wears a Spider-Man costume. Um, and it was pretty... Pretty sad story. One of the things she's been doing, she's been pulling out his toenails. So they explain this story to me, and I hear this little boy's story, and I hear all these other kids' stories, and it is wearing me down. 
Then they bring them all in with their caregivers. And now I got to do jokes for them. If my mindset was to get last from people, there's no way I would have been able to do the show. But my mindset was changed. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I have to do the show. I get up on stage, sitting right up front is Spider-Man in full costume. I start doing comedy. First thing I did was I, into it, I handed him one of my children's books. I just gave him a gift. I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't setting anything up. I was just giving him a gift because I knew his story. It opens up your heart when you don't know somebody's story. So I start doing comedy 20, 25 minutes into it. People are laughing pretty good. And I hear a voice and the voice says, my name is Ronan. And this little boy pulls off his mask and introduces himself to me. And he starts talking to me for like nine minutes like I'm not doing a comedy show. <laughs> like we had a, like this whole transformation took place yes. right in front of our face and it yeah. was so good. Yeah, but I've seen that clip. Is that on YouTube of you, of you afterward kind of crawling I think, around on the I think floor you guys put a, I think they put a clip together if I'm not putting them yeah, on the spot. Yeah, well, we, you did, but we uh, ran into trouble. We can't play it. So. Oh, okay. No, we'll wait. Yeah. Could be a long wait. Oh, so, snap. Your yeah. team is so oh, point. Okay. There's Spider-Man. Oh, there he is without the... Gosh, it's so great. And at the end, we're playing and dancing and stuff. And who is that big guy? Oh, that's you. Yeah, that's me, man. Yeah, What's he doing? You saw the haircut. Yeah. Stop tripping. So, so, yeah, it's really pretty cool what, what took place there. And all I did was show off my gift. My gift isn't any greater than anyone's yeah. gift in this room. It's just different. Yeah. But there's somebody around you that needs your gift. Yeah. And it's yeah. so cool. It's like, you, you know, just to make a connection here, because this is such a great takeaway thought, and, and that is when Christ comes into your life, uh, the self-absorption gets turned around. There's a sea change, and you start becoming a generous person because the one who gave everything for you has come to live on the inside. So you've got a, a story about, you know, what transpires when Christ comes to live on the inside. You I use do? an analogy, you do, okay. of a house. So I want you to, I want you to tell, because my guess is there are some of us who are wondering, so how do you get Christ? Lights, what did Michael do? These lights are really bright. Have you noticed how Christ? light these bright are? I keep wanting to yes. reach my license and registration. Yes. These are some really bright lights. Yes. <laughs> it's the house story. The house story. The cool. house So I'm going to tell them the house story because it is them. a pretty dope story. And then uh, afterwards, we could explain it just in case we need to translate because... Uh, I will. It's a lot of white people here. I don't know yes. if my story yeah. is going to translate all the way. Yes. <laughs> I, was just playing. I was just playing. It's a couple of black people sprinkled around. I see you sprinkled. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell, tell you the story. story. All right, so all check right. it. So this is a cool story. And then Pastor's going to wrap up the story. He's going to show you how the thing comes together. It's going to be pretty dope. Dope is a good thing. <laughs> Not like... Anyway, so... <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So check it. I was up writing a joke at like five o'clock in the morning. I got five kids. When you got five kids, you got to get up when you, when you can. So I got five kids. So I woke up early in the morning to write comedy because that's how I used to do it. And I ain't more now. But, and I was writing a joke about the good room. You guys know what the good room is? No, you don't. Because I never finished writing a joke. But the truth is, is pretty much everyone in here knows what the good room is. The good room is that room um, in your grandmother's house or your aunt's house or maybe your house. It's that room that's better than the rest of the house. Like, can't nobody go in there either. It's plastic on the furniture. It's all pretty. It's the good room. How many people know what the good room is now? Exactly. Exactly. Now, I was up writing a joke about the good room, and in the middle of writing this joke, God stopped me and told me to tell this story to his people. 
So I was sharing it with Pastor, and he's like, yo, you should tell the people. He didn't say, yo, that's me telling you the story. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you the story. This is what God stopped me in the middle and said, tell this story to him. So I want everyone in here, I want you to imagine that you are a house. This is a story about what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. Imagine that you are a house. And outside of the house is Jesus Christ. And he wants to come in. But he will never force his way in. He actually wants you to invite him in. And the reason some people won't invite Jesus into the house is because you're cool with the way things are right now. Whenever you need something, you walk up to the door, crack it open, say what you need, say a little prayer, close the door, and go back into the house. But that's not really a relationship at all. And the reason you won't let them in the house is because your house is a mess. And you think you need to clean it up first. So how's that been working out? In fact, you've probably brought things into the house, hoping that it could distract you from the mess. Maybe you're going shopping a lot, or maybe there's some things online that you're paying attention to that you think can distract you from the mess, but it's making the house even more of a mess, or even drugs, the house is even more of a mess. And the only one, or you've brought relationships into the house, other people, hoping that they can help you clean it up, but they can't. The only one who can clean it up is standing outside the door wearing an apron with a bucket in his hand waiting on you to open the door. And then there's other people in here right now, possibly on staff, possibly volunteering, or you just showed up today. There's other people in the room right now. You used to have Jesus in the whole house, but for some reason or another, whether you're aware of it or not, You've tried to evict him, or you've moved him to just one room in the house, the good room. Have you ever noticed how the good room most of the time is the one right up front with the big window? So when people look in, they think the whole house is clean. So when they hear that you go to church almost every Sunday, they think the whole house is clean. When they hear that you volunteer at the church, they think the whole house is clean, but it's not. It's just that one room. And Jesus wants access to the whole house. And I got to tell you, if you will give him access to the whole house, if you will open this door, he's going to show up with a contractor named the Holy Spirit. And they can remodel the house so it can fully function the way it was intended to. But none of this happens if you don't open the door because he will never force his way in. You want to explain the rest, Pastor? You know what, um, interestingly, that little story he just told, it's actually got a scripture behind it. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus is speaking and he says, I stand at the door, and he's talking about individual lives. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. We'll, we'll begin this relationship. So Michael told about the day when he went to church and heard a message like what you've just heard today, 
and he made that decision for himself. So I want to give you the opportunity across four campuses to make the same kind of decision, to invite Jesus into the house. And, and there's a little background you need to understand. First of all, you know, you need to be aware of the fact that Jesus is currently on the outside. If you're fooling yourself thinking he's on the inside when, when he's not, then you're, you're going to go nowhere with this. But the Bible says that all of us are sinners and the result of our sin is that we've become alienated from a holy God. So when we go our own way instead of God's way, when we do, do things, say things, uh, think things that are displeasing to God, it just keeps pushing them further and further away. And we do that every day. And so God eventually sent his son to this planet to fix that problem. See, the problem is not only that we've alienated ourselves from God, but the Bible says the wages, the payment for our sin is death. Makes absolute sense. If God's the giver of life and you want to do your thing instead of God's thing, you want to go your way instead of his, you're unplugging from the source of life. You die. The Bible says if you don't get this fixed in this life, you go into eternity apart from God, unplugged from God. It's called eternal death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, Romans 6, 23. So you need to understand God's on the outside. Christ is on the outside. Because of your sin, God sends his son not just to live a good moral life so you have an example to follow. Truth is, we don't follow good examples. We lack the power to do it. Jesus came for an entirely different purpose. He came to die on a cross to pay the penalty our sins deserve. If the wages of sin is death, what was Jesus doing on the cross? He was paying the death your sins deserve. And so getting Jesus on the outside first means waking up to the notion that he is outside because of your sin. Secondly, that he died on the cross to pay for those sins, pay the penalty so that you could be forgiven. So it means reaching out to him and saying, based on what you did on the cross, I want you to forgive my sin. But it doesn't stop there. There's one more piece of the puzzle in getting Jesus on the inside. Michael put it really well. You know, even, even though at the point in his life when he made that decision for Christ, as he said, he hadn't been a really bad guy, wasn't drugs, wasn't drank, wasn't sleeping around, wasn't, he just recognized he, he'd been sitting on the throne. He'd been his own little king of his own fiefdom. And he had to get off the throne and make God king. And so when you come to Jesus and you want him on the inside, the big thing you got to do is surrender. You got to say, okay, I've been on the throne. I want to get off the throne. I want you to be the king of my life. That's when the Bible starts to come alive to you because that's God's word to you. Before you're, you're willing to make Jesus your king, the Bible's just an old musty book. But once you, you, you brought Jesus on the inside, he begins to make sense of the Bible. It becomes direction for your life, a compass by which you can live. You want to do that. So across four campuses, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to make that decision Michael made. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front of the church like he did, but I am going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. So would you bow your heads? This just gives us an opportunity as your head is bowed before God for you to focus on what is without a doubt the most important decision that people ever make in this life, and that is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with Christ? And so as you're bowed before God, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. You can pray this from your heart. The words aren't what, what's important. What's important is whether you mean what you're expressing to God right now. So let me pray a prayer, a line at a time, and pause just to give you an opportunity to kind of repeat it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. 
and I know that my sin has kept you on the outside of my life. But I want you on the inside. I understand that the reason you came to earth was to die on a cross to pay sin's penalty. I want you to pay the penalty for my sin. Would you please become my savior and forgive me? Would you please come to live on the inside of my life? And I want you to come in not merely as savior, but as king, as boss, master, ruler. Right now in my heart, I'm getting off the throne of my heart and I'm asking you to get on the throne as the one who will now give my life direction, purpose, significance. Now, before I end this prayer, and while you're still bowed before God, because this is, you know, this is a really important step. If you're, if you're praying this from your heart, this is the most important decision you will ever make in this life. This is a turning point. And yet sometimes when we make a spiritual decision that's internal like this, it helps us to do something on the outside physically that sort of marks it so that 24 hours from now you're not saying to yourself, did I really do this or not? So here's what I want you to do. If you just prayed that prayer from your heart, I want you to put your hand up in the air. It's just a way of saying I prayed that prayer. I meant that. I just gave my life to Christ. Put your hand up. After you put it up for a moment, you could put it back down. All across the auditorium, I saw hands go up. Anybody else? Just going to wait another moment. You're thinking, I should have done that because I did pray that prayer. Okay, then mark it. Put your hand in the air and put it back down again. Lord God, you not only see hands that are raised, we could see those, but you could see something we can't see. You could see what's going on in people's hearts. You know those who pray that prayer with sincerity, they really meant it. This was the turning point in their lives when they surrendered to Christ. You know others among us who were thinking, you know, I'd like to make that decision, but I'm not ready. And you, you know why we're not ready. You know what we're struggling with, whether we've got questions that need answers or, you know, whatever the, the struggle is, I pray that you'd bring those to the point who'd like to make this decision but just couldn't today. Bring them to that point soon in their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you, before we, we thank Michael for being with us, I want to tell you about a gift we've got for you. See, if you raised your hand because you're saying, I surrendered to Christ, we call that around Christ's community the first step in a walk with God. But we don't want the walk to be one step. We want it to be a lot of steps. We want it to become a daily thing for you. So we put together a gift. So anytime anybody makes a decision to take that first step around Christ's community, we've got a gift. It's called a next steps packet. This is so you could take subsequent steps. And I'll tell you what's in it. It's free. Okay, what, what is in it is a Bible. And in the Bible, there's a bookmark in the Gospel of Mark, which is the biography of Jesus. It's a great place to start if you've never read the Bible. It's a free Bible with a bookmark in it. There's a little booklet called God's Good News, and it walks through everything I just explained about how Christ came to give his life for you and what it means to surrender to him. There are Bible verses, diagrams. It will just reiterate what you heard here today, what Michael said as well. Make sense of the whole thing. And then there's a little booklet uh, 
that's an excerpt from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life is the best-selling book in history outside of the Bible. And so there's this excerpt uh, about how God gives your life purpose, right along the lines of what Michael was talking about, that when God comes to live on the inside, you start finding significance in how he's wired you. You start living purposefully. That's all yours. Now, let me tell you how you get it. Okay, when, when we stop in just a moment to thank Michael, we'll be getting to our feet and singing one final song. During the final song, here's the challenge. The challenge is slip out of your seat, Go back to the Welcome Center. It's the glass wall uh, room right off the auditorium, back left-hand corner here, and say, I want a Next Steps packet. That's all it takes, all right? But there's some value in doing this if you lifted your hand in the air. The value in doing this is this really cements it. This drives a stake into the ground. This is a way of saying, I really did this thing. I really surrendered to Christ. So again, we'll be standing to our feet, thanking Michael. We'll be singing a song. As the song is being sung, you just elbow your way out your row, go back to the Welcome Center, say, I want a Next Steps packet. One last thing I'd say about this, in addition to giving you the packet, we extend an invitation. Okay, we've got a four-week follow-up course called Next Steps. So you get a Next Steps packet next week at the 11 o'clock hour at the St. Charles campus, we, we start a four-week class for people who are, are new to Christ, who just made a decision. It's the best thing you could do to cement this thing and make sure it's real. Make sure it takes off and your first step becomes a walk with God. So pick up a Next Steps packet today during the closing song, and then come on back next week and uh, start this four-week Next Steps class so that you really begin this relationship with Jesus right. All right, Let, let's thank our guest for the great job he did. Thanks.